You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. To the gastroenteritis blues a very special bonus episode here uh my name is steve Littman. i'm joined as always by emily cannell dan Valpone, and a special guest for the first time ever uh one of the great writers about the sixers mike o'connor of the rights to ricky sanchez podcast uh their website mike thank you so much for being here how are you i'm doing great man thank you guys for having me on um like i was just saying you guys i love that this is such a great name for a podcast when you guys reached out i was i was thrilled to be able to come on here so excited to do it absolutely we're thrilled to have you and um you know we're with mike today we're going to go through um our uh preemptive rage about joel Embiid not winning the mvp award probably uh, and then uh talk about the uh just preview the Toronto series, which uh, fate has aligned for the Sixers to play against Toronto without Matisse Thibel, who is still uh, in the middle of uh, some very thorough research uh, and, and some alternative medicine. Uh, so yeah, we're, we'll, we'll go through all of that. Uh, Dan, you can get started here uh, with our uh, questions for Mike. But uh, again, thank you so much for being here and we're thrilled to have you. You bet. Yeah, I mean, I just kind of want to start off with like an open-ended question, kind of uh, let you get some thoughts out there. So, I mean, earlier this week, you were kind of going at it with uh, Matt Moore, HP Basketball. Uh, without even knowing the context, I think everyone already knows you were right. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, you know, this is kind of a case you've been making for a long time that a lot of these catch-all metrics are, you know, pretty uh, unuseful and, um, you know, not to say that there's no case for Jokic, but a lot of his case does seem to be based in those, at least at least by his you know, supporters, they seem to at least cite those the most in making his case. Um, you know, obviously I, we all on this podcast believe Joel Embiid is the MVP, but I just kind of want to like prompt you with that. It's not even a real question, but like, you know, like get us started here. Like, what are we thinking? <laughs> yeah, uh, it's, it, was a, it was a wild week for me on Twitter. Um, I just woke up one morning just like feeling dangerous. Like I, <laughs> I, I had like put out a much more measured, I think, tweet like a couple of days before that. I was just like, man, I'm like pissed off about this. Like I just needed to like be an asshole about it. And uh, I was, and it produced exactly the result I expected. Um, <laughs> but look, man, like I'm not just doing this to like ruffle feathers. Like I do really believe that these metrics are like, 
not like a lot i got a lot of responses like oh they're not everything but they're a tool to be considered or they're you know you can use them but like not as like the be all end all and like no they're not they're they're horrendous they're garbage all of them and it's so hard to have this conversation um especially on twitter where like when you start to criticize this sort of stuff, like in these people's minds, like these broken minds that these people have, like they think you're like two steps removed from being like a climate change denier. Like it, like you, you like can't get through to them that like you're a logical person, like with an actual opinion. And you can tell that by the way that they engage you like Matt Moore. Like when I brought up Stan Van Gundy, who I will probably talk a lot about, um, like one of the first things he said was like, is that your case? Like the nerds are ruining the sport. Like Stan Van Gunny doesn't watch the games. Like, no, that's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying the opposite that he's like the most qualified person in the world. And it still has like somehow gotten in his brain that like VORP and BPM and this stuff is like really valuable tools, like stuff to be considered. Like Stan did an interview on NBA TV before one of the games the other night. And they were asking him his thoughts on MVP and he says it's Jokic and it shouldn't be close and in terms of like his reasons why the first thing he said was perfectly reasonable he said you know Jokic has been on the floor for whatever it is 47 wins and Bede's only been on the floor for 46 or something like that perfectly reasonable the second thing out of his mouth was that he leads the league in defensive box plus minus like this is not like what I'm trying to convey to everyone is like this is not like maybe there are people who are responding, who are anger, who are like, you know, I'm not basing my case for Jokic off of box plus minus or stuff like that. But like, there are, this is, this is real. Like people are heavily considering this stuff and I'm just trying to get through to like, this is, these are garbage metrics. They are useless. They're like, if I invented my own metric and like gave, like, you know, put out these rankings and put out this formula, all this stuff, and it produced the same results that Raptor did. Like Raptor, I don't know if you guys have followed that one. Mm-hmm. You guys would be like, dude, go back to the drawing board. Like something went horribly wrong. You think Jokic is twice as good as Giannis? Like what Like what happened? You think Fred Van Vliet is the sixth best player in the NBA? You have Jakob Pertl and Al Horford over John Morant and Donovan Mitchell. Like, And this stuff, this is not like, I'm not cherry picking. Like this goes all the way down in all of these metrics. So we can get into the nitty gritty of all of them if you want, but like, I'm not surprised that I got the the responses I did on Twitter. Like I knew people were going to be pissed. And like, the thing that I just want to convey is like Jokic 1 million percent deserves to be like, if not second, then first in the MVP voting. Like the guy is averaging 27, 13 and eight. Like it's obvious that he is one of the best players in the league probably the best offensive player in the league. And all I am trying to say is we don't need these garbage ass metrics. We don't need them. They're harmful. They're harmful to the debate. They're bad for the sport. Um, not, not in and of themselves, but the fact that they have become such a big deal is bad for the sport. So yeah, I don't know. I'm torn between like trying to be measured, but like, I know I'm being an asshole about it, but it's just because I feel really strongly. Well, I mean, we've enjoyed you being an asshole about it, so that's fine. <laughs> but, you know, I think it's interesting you bring up, you know, like, and we don't have to go through every stat, obviously. You know, there was uh, NBA Stat Lord on Twitter did a good, uh, I know you saw that, did a good thread on how some of these are crazy. And we could talk about a few of them. But, um, you know, I think that when people 
who, and obviously I'm not an expert in these, but I generally know how these kinds of things work. You know, when people see this kind of, of you know, catch-all metric and you know, the crazy math that goes into it, and, and really it's something that like, like you said, like if I drew this up and I showed you, this is my formula, you'd say, well, that's like, how the hell did you come up with that? That doesn't make any sense. Um, and I think that there's some assumption here because people don't really understand how these metrics are made that like there was some kind of you know computer that was really smart that like saw who won the NBA finals every year and like went back and was like which stats mattered the most and I'm going to weigh the that's not how it works like all of the assumptions made by these formulas come from the people who make the formulas and all that ties back to is how much do you trust that person's basically eye test about what's important about basketball so now we have guys like Nate Silver who really isn't even a basketball guy at all whose you know 538 metric is not good at predicting the finals winner year to year um and he's you know dictating so much of the you know dialogue about players in the sport and who's at the top of the league when th these things don't make a ton of sense and no one would if no one would have Nate Silver break down the film or ask him what's important in a basketball game and i think there's some thought here that he didn't you know put his assumptions into this but it's actually like all of the assumptions of people at, you know, 538 who helped come up with this metric that are like shaping how players are ranked. Yeah. And it's not a reflection of anyone like lacking intelligence or right. even lacking understanding of basketball. Like it's just impossible. It's an impossible job. And I had, you know, a little bit of discussion about um, like the thing, the thing that just like absolutely disqualifies BPM and VORP is that they give centers two like credit for two assists for every assist they get so Jokic as a center is averaging eight assists and he's getting the same amount of credit uh as a guard would get for averaging 16 like and that the assumption is is basically positional right it's like everyone has embraced positionless basketball in all these ways except on these stats don't reflect them but the same people tout these stats who embrace the positionless league like Jokic doesn't play center on offense right and and so but like the thing is is that even as I point out how ridiculous that is the 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 place that that comes from isn't ridiculous because you want to value different stuff differently for for different types of players right like if a center shoots 40 percent from three that's more valuable than if a point guard shoots 40 percent from three like that's really unique right but it's like how do you factor that in where do you draw the line like that stuff is all someone's opinion that's all it is and and bpm and vorp have fallen down this terrible um, rabbit hole with like trying to like weigh all of this stuff. And we see with Jokic, like it should be self-evident that like Jokic is not having a better season than Michael Jordan's best season. And that's what Vorp shows us that he is. And like you brought up Nate Silver and, and, and you know, 538 and Raptor. Raptor has Jokic as the second best defensive player in the entire league, right behind Rudy Gobert. If you were going to tell me that he's the second best player on defense in the entire league, there should be something revelatory, like something I was not aware of that like, wow, that really changes like something he's doing that I wasn't paying attention to. And Nate put out a thread and like credit to him for kind of diving into it. And the gist of the thread was excellent defensive rebounder, above average rim protector, and the nuggets are worse with him when he are, are worse when he's off the court. I knew all of that. And I also knew that Nikola Jokic is not anywhere close to the second best defensive player in the league. 
Like the, the thing that maybe people don't think about is that everything that goes into these stats are things that like we already have knowledge of or access to. Like there has to, it's not like something they discovered that we don't, we're not privy to. Like they're just taking the stuff that we already have and we already know and trying to weight it. They're taking on off numbers, you know, um, tracking data, like the rebounding stuff for Jokic, um, counting stats, like they're just taking that and, and weighing it. And when we can look at all of the ingredients, all of the things that go into it and say, yeah, Nicole Jokic is amazing. Like maybe the best player in the league, but like not twice as good as Giannis. Like that should show you that something has been weighted wrong. Something is pulling in the wrong direction. And again, I'm not trying to say like these people have like horribly screwed up or whatever. I'm just saying that like, it's an impossible job. It's an impossible job. If the four of us sat down and tried to figure out how to weight all this stuff perfectly, we never would figure it out. And Nate Silver is clearly a very smart guy when it comes to data and, and analyzing this stuff. This metric is not it. It's not it. And it's because it's an impossible job. And I, like, I just, I like couldn't believe when I read that thread and like people were like cheering it on. And I was like, he said that he's an excellent rebounder and above average rim protector and that they're better with him on the floor. How does that put him, how does that put him above Draymond Green, Joel Embiid, like anyone else that is like an all deep perennial, all defense guy, like, all like this see, stuff. correct the case. Thank you, Nate. There you go. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. And <laughs> by the way, it's not a particularly good defensive team that he's on either. His, his, that's the thing with the on off numbers is yeah. that his backup is boogie cousins. And like, <laughs> you're obviously going to be a lot better when Boogie Cousins isn't on the floor. Like that's the, that's, this is the type of stuff where with on off numbers, the on off numbers are so useful, incredibly useful, but you have to apply so much context to them to understand them. And you can like the perfect example is with like Embiid, where if you look at Embiid's on off numbers defensively, the one year that Embiid's on off numbers on defense weren't that great guess what? That was the year they had Al Horford as backup center. Like you can, you can apply context to these things and say like the gap, obviously between Joel Embiid and his backup, that's what we're seeing. And when his backup is better, that gap isn't as big. And so look, you just have to be so careful. All of these stats that go into the all-in-one metrics are very useful, very, very useful, but you have to apply a ton of context, a ton of it to every single one. And when you just take all of them and mix them all together and don't piece through the context of what's pulling this one up or what could be messing with this one or what could be doing that, you just put them all together. That's before we even talk about how to weight them and how how they're screwing up. Like, why the hell is defensive rebounding so valuable for defense? Like, why is that contributing to his defensive Raptor? Like, I... I don't, I would, I would make the case that rebounding is a different phase of the game entirely. You're, you can be a great defensive team and a shit rebounding team and a shit rebounding team and a great defensive team. They're two different things. Like, I guess if you have to throw, you have to throw it in somewhere. So I guess throw it in on defense, but I don't know. Like you, you start with these stats that need a shit ton of context and then you put them all together. And then 
some person or group of people tries to figure out how they should all be weighted and which is the most important. And then you get these all-in-one metrics. And it's like the fact that this is being used to determine people's legacies is ridiculous. It is so, it is, it is just so incredibly dumb. And I'm so over NBA media people who look at you like a climate change denier because you point this shit out. Like, stop talking to me like I'm a troll. Stop talking to me like I am just like some clueless moron who's like saying the nerds ruin the sport. Dude, I cite every single stat that goes into these. I use on-off numbers. I use tracking data. I use all of it. All of it. I don't use the all-in-ones because of everything I just said. Like, I'm just so over all this bullshit. I'm so, so over. I don't I don't want to beat this too hard, but I want to ask you one more follow-up about this. So, yeah. um, you know, what do you say to someone who, you know, maybe, you know, they understand what you're saying here. They're like, yeah, you're right. You know, you know, maybe, you know, Raptor on its own isn't very good. BPM on its own isn't very good. Vorp on its own isn't very good. But I saw Andy Bailey tweet out, you know, this really cool, uh, you know, graphic that says Jokic is leading in all of these. He's leading in fantasy points per 75 minutes. It's like, He's leading in all of these, you know, 10 catch-all metrics. Um, and, you know, it can't be a coincidence, right? Like, it, if he's first in all of them, you know, then he has to be by far the best player in the league. Like, what do you, what do you say about that? Probably means that they're all overvaluing the same shit. Right, same assumptions, yeah. That's what it probably means. Like, and that's such a lame argument. Is like, when I tear apart every single one, one by one, and you're like, well, if they're all saying the same thing, like, what are we doing? It's so ridiculous, but um, look like, yeah, they're all probably overvaluing the same, the same stuff, Dif mm -hmm. like rebounding and efficiency, like efficiency as a scorer, um, you know, like Jokic gets a lot of steals as a defensive player. And like, it's, I have always said, you know, for, for years and years, like all in one stats on offense are really, really bad, but on defense, they're like, just throw them out the window. Like you cannot even begin to measure defense like that and because all they have is like like you're just working off counting stats and like really 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 flawed data yeah. and um you know well, Jokic I feel gets like they're not even accounting for things like i know um what's it called sis where dan olinger writes now um i forget what it stands for but they put out like um you know some some um stat that they you know assembled um, where it was looking at, you know, like shots deterred, basically, where like a player didn't even take a shot because of good defense, um, which I don't think is accounted for really at all in, the, in these stats. And it's arguably more valuable than anything, right? Like, I mean, mm -hmm. to have – this even goes back and, and you know, we're, we're not a pro Ben Simmons podcast, but going back to like, you know, I actually was in favor of Rudy Gobert for Defensive Player of the Year last year, but I thought some of the, you know, arguments for him were not good, where it's like, well, he's defending so many shots. And it's like – well, I watched Ben Simmons guard Luka Doncic a whole game and Luka took like 15 shots because Ben played such good defense. Like we want pl like good players taking fewer shots. Like those things aren't accounted for. 100%. And, you know, like you said, the best defense is the absence of a shot. It's not a, it's not a shot given up. It's the absence of a shot. And there, there are numbers. Um, so my personal philosophy when it comes to this stuff, like there are numbers that track like, you know, the opposing team's um, field goal percentage when you're the closest defender. My personal philosophy is I only use that um, when it comes to big men defending the rim. Um, I don't use it for perimeter players at all because a lot of times what happens is you just get tagged as the closest defender when you're not anywhere near the play. Like if 
and and like it could also be that like someone else screwed up like got beaten off the dribble and you rotated over to try and contest a shot and you got tagged as the closest defender and that is like it's just not a good way it's not a good resource to to be like using as a data point like Simmons I think you bring up a good point like a lot of times he didn't even get challenged like you just wouldn't even go at him and that was actually one of the things that Nate Silver put in his thread about Jokic was Jokic defends a ton of shots at the rim <laughs> that was what he said he defends a ton of shots at the rim ah, like you could kind of make the case both ways but like I think it probably has more to do with your team's defensive scheme and like I don't know like there's probably a lot of shots where people attempt them against Jokic or they wouldn't even attempt them against Gobert. You know what I mean? And, you know, it's just, there's, there's so much that goes into all of them. And um, that's why you just can't flatten all of it and turn it into one metric. And um, you know, you just, you just gotta be so careful with this stuff. Yeah. I mean, even like, even with assists, you know, you know, and Jokic obviously is, is, you know, one of the better passers in the league. He's a definitely better passer than Joel, even though Joel's improved. And it is really valuable. His passing is very valuable. A lot of these metrics will weight, you know, the points from his assists, the same as a point that a player scored. And, you know, he does make some great passes that lead to easy buckets. There's a lot of just the nature of the stat of assists, like normally like half of them for a player are going to be like passed to a guy who then takes two dribbles and hits a pull-up jump shot or something. Like that's just kind of the nature of assists in the NBA. Well, that's the other thing about the BPM and VORP giving them double the credit centers, double the credit for every assist is a lot of centers are getting a lot of handoffs, dribble handoff assist to like to their guards who are, you know, shooting contested shots and, and making them. And like as much as we're talking about Jokic, like Embiid got a million of those to JJ Redick and, and Seth Curry over the years. Like, why are we giving them double the credit for that? Like, if anything, a guards assist are tend to be more like they created something, they got somewhere off the dribble and, and, you know, created some sort of opening and just to somebody else um, tends to not be the case for centers, but, um, but yeah. And, and, and uh, you know, there, we can keep talking. I, I could talk about this all day, but the thing I want to say, like, most importantly that I, like, I got a ton of angry responses just saying like, well, you don't even need these stats to see that Jokic is like in the MVP conversation. I'm like, that's exactly what I'm saying. That is exactly what I'm saying. And, you know, like everybody's like, well, how about he scored this many points? I'm like, thank you. Thank you. That's exactly what I would. That's, that's like, I think a lot of these people ask, like, if you don't use these stats, then like, what plane do you want this debate, this debate to like take place on? Um, And I would just say, like, if I had to make the Jokic case in like, as, as, as few characters as possible, it would be, he's the best offensive player in the league and offense is more important than defense. If I had to make the Embiid case in as few characters as possible, it would be uh, the gap between Jokic and Embiid on offense is not nearly as big as the gap between Embiid and Jokic on defense. Um, and there's other stuff too, like Embiid is a better individual scorer, which matters. Like if you had to give the ball to one of them with seven seconds left on the shot clock, you're giving the ball to Embiid. At least I am. Um, Embiid's a better three-point shooter. Um, clearly a better defender. Like, that that is the type of and like team success like talk about that like that is the plane i would like this to take to take place on and what i would say to anyone who's like you know uh, like who is doing this or, or or who is like poisoning this debate like point me to the people who are voting for Jokic who aren't making mention of these stats that's what i would say and i think like i listened to bill simmons and rosillo last night and both of them 
did that. And I was like, props to them. Like, I think that's totally reasonable. I have no problem with Jokic winning MVP. My only problem would be if he wins MVP for the wrong reasons. And if he wins MVP because of these, dis- these discussions and these stats that just like somehow have seeped through into everyone's consciousness, even though they're just transparently awful, transparently awful. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the thing I want to drive home. It's just like, by all means, if Jokic wins, I think it, I think it should be close. I think Embiid deserves to be right there, but, um, I don't have a problem with Jokic winning. I would have a problem with him winning in like a landslide. I would have to think that that would be because of these types of numbers. And that's a damn shame. Um, but yeah, I, I don't have a problem with him winning. I would have a problem with the reasons that people considered to like to, for him to win. And like, I would just say that like, you know, Daryl Morey is not using these catch-all metrics, right? No. Like people who are no. good with who, who, when, and I think that when we talk about like advanced metrics, like catch-all metrics, like they, like not everyone realized that, that like when, when people in front offices are talking about analytics, this is not what they're talking about. It's not what, you know, smart people find useful. John Hollinger seems to love them and he signed Chandler Parsons to a max contract. Like people who are currently successful in front offices are not using these numbers. It's just the truth. And I'm going to like let Steve and Emily ask questions now because I feel like we ran enough about the advanced metrics, but I'm glad you could share some of these thoughts with us. I'll share, I'll share one more thing. You're 100% right that NBA teams generally do not use these metrics. They do not. And um, I'm in a group chat with a couple of people I used to work with um, back when I was scouting. And we just like joke about this shit all the time. And one of the things we came up with was obviously I couldn't do it now because I've made such a stink about all this stuff, but um, we were, we were going to make a metric called horsecock to measure uh, to measure clutchness. And it was, it was, it's um, half court only real shooting estimate counting only clock based clutchness. And like, I truly believe I'm not saying this with a hint of sarcasm. I truly believe that if you, if someone else did this, I couldn't do this. I truly believe if someone else put that out there, didn't put any formula behind it, maybe made up a fake formula, just like put guys who have made game winners at the top and like, just put it out there. I think people would think it's silly, but like it would catch on. It would catch on. And like Nate Duncan would be on his podcast. Like, I don't know if you could have John Collins out there in, in crunch time. His horse cock's only 1.3. Like, like, and I love Nate Duncan. I love Nate Duncan. I think he's a thousand times better than a lot of these guys. But um, like, I'm just saying this shit to like, you people are so easily fooled. Like, I truly believe I could put that metric out and you would, people would buy it. People would like think it's silly. But if I like put some fake formula and like fake explainer to it, people would be like, oh, this is useful. We don't have anything to measure like clutchness. It was like pretty good. And it would, it would like, it would catch on. Like, it's just, it's all just like so stupid. Like, just stop. We don't need these metrics. We don't need them. It's all so silly. You know, it's not silly. These advertisements coming up. Stay tuned. Mike will give his predictions on the MVP winner and insight in the first round matchup versus the Toronto Raptors. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. So, in terms of all of those metrics, and since no one pays attention to one that like is like overweighting 40 and 10 games or anything that Embiid does well, um, does he have a shot? Like, what is his chances at this, and why am I going to lose my $237 and that I bet. What, when you bet that, what were the odds? No, I didn't bet $237. I was going to win $237 uh, on plus 4,000. Wow. Wow. But can I'm, you still cash? And I wonder if I can. It just hurts. It hurts my heart. to. I feel like I'm giving up on him if I cash. Yeah. I don't know if I can do it. I'm just going to eat the $5 <laughs> that I bet. That's a great bet. Um, I thought so. Yeah. I don't, I don't think he's going to win. I mean, it's certain. There were a few people who had like um, vocally supported Embiid who have now flipped to Jokic. Like I think Jalen Rose and um, Stephen A. and Wilbon. And I think I think Wilbon is the third guy. Um, seemed and when like, did it turn? That's the question that I haven't been able to pin down, and I, I don't know that we have either. That's like the crazy thing about it. I think I think what um, sort of doomed Embiid was two things. I think he peaked too early. He had an like a crazy run in like December and January. Um, if that had happened at the end of the season, maybe it's a different conversation. Um, but the other thing was just that when they traded for Harden, I think everyone just thought that um, that they were just going to like run through the league and they didn't do that. And they just sort of became this sort of dramatic and like underwhelming team. Like they somehow went from like, saving the season on a, on a miracle to like a disappointment in a matter of a few weeks. And um, I think that was what flipped it. Um, but yeah, I mean, and I, and I also think like, as everyone just took a harder look at it towards the end of the season, like the stats, like we're talking about, like when you, when you put all these advanced numbers together and you put them on a spreadsheet and you're trying to figure out who to vote for, like, that type of consideration, I think, started happening more towards the end of the year. And that was kind of what took Joel out of it. So, you know, just kind of getting into a playoff preview here. How are you feeling about how the uh, Sixers side of the bracket shook out um, with, you know, Toronto and most likely Miami being their path to the conference finals? Yeah, I, I would take the um, counterintuitive take. I think this is the best thing that could have happened to them. Um, they look if you're not going to beat Toronto you're not going anywhere anyway and I think that Toronto is like the perfect team to play for them to like kind of get their shit together and they need they have a lot of bad habits right now and they just like are not at a level of effort and execution that like they need to be at and Toronto 
and Miami, like Sixers are more talented than Miami. Those two teams could like bring that out of them um, if it's ever going to come out of them. So, I mean, getting to avoid Brooklyn in round one and Milwaukee in round two, I mean, I don't think you can complain much, right? Like I, even aside from like Toronto and Miami being like the teams that will bring the right stuff out of them, like the Celtics are just totally screwed. I mean, playing Brooklyn in round one and then Milwaukee in round two, like that's just terrible. Um, so I think, I think it worked out fine for them. I mean, I, I don't, I wouldn't say it's a lock that they beat Toronto, but they, they should. And I think it's, like I said, they will bring the best out of them if anybody is going to bring the best out of them. Do you think that missing Matisse is going to be any type of factor in the series? I do. Yeah, I, I do. Um, but it's strange because I've been like campaigning for them to start Danny over him for a while. And I think like, strangely that, that will help. It, it's it, like, it would have helped if that was all that happened and they still could bring Matisse off the bench. But um, yeah, like they really don't have anyone to defend Siakam other than Embiid. Like they're really missing that type of player. Um, I wish that Doc would play some, some B-ball Paul a little more. That would be, that would be cool to see him guard Siakam. Um, but yeah, I know it, it's, it's definitely going to play a role. Um, but I do think that they'll be better off having Danny in the starting lineup. Um, you know, I think, I think that'll definitely help out their offense for sure. So you sort of led me to uh, my next question and I can explain this as slowly as you like uh, in light of Doc's exchange yesterday with Derek um, about uh, B-Ball Paul, who we love. Uh, do you think that B-Ball Paul is going to get run in this series? Actually, uh, you know, Doc said he's going to play against small teams. This would be by their height. Now, maybe he meant metaphorically small teams, in which case, who the fuck knows? But this would be a physically small team, which would prescribe B-Ball Paul in this series. Do you think that he will actually play him? Um, or will it be like if he fouls anyone at any time, DeAndre get in there? Um, and how much confidence do you have in Paul, like being legitimately some level of an X factor? Um, as far as will he play? I think so. I think so. It just has to be so obvious at this point. And I know. It's and Doc, Doc has not left him and left himself an out as an explanation because the Raptors <laughs> are small. <laughs> but what what a what a bullshit answer that was. They played unbelievable. They played, they played the Pistons like what five days ago and Paul didn't five play. Days ago. Like what are you talking about? What, are you what the talking fuck are you about? talking about? He is he has to, I think Doc is just so over being here, honestly. Like I, I think he's just like done with all of this shit. He 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 I think Doc feels like, and I'm totally guessing, I don't know anything, but I'm just guessing like Doc feels like the Simmons quote from last year. Like he feels like he was scapegoated for that. And like now he's really jaded against the media and he just like doesn't want to deal with any of it anymore. Um, Dude, but, but he I, explains it like he's so smart too. Like, yeah. like he goes, okay, I'm going to explain it to you. Do you understand now? <laughs> when we play little guys, we play Paul. We've done it all year. It's like, no, he hasn't fucking played in six months. What are you talking about? Yeah. And even when he came back after the summer, we had all year to prepare for the Ben questions. He goes, look at the tape. I never said that. It's like, <laughs> yes, you. we've been watching the same video all summer. Yes, yeah. you did. Yeah. 
It's so, unbelievable. Yeah, I don't know. He's so awful with the media. It's unbelievable. So I'm sorry. Keep going uh, no, about whether or not Paul will actually play. Yeah, no, I, I think he probably will. Um, I think he'll have a short leash. Yeah, I, I do. As far as like, can he have an impact? Like, yeah, I, I think he can. Um, and I'm wary of saying that because I was one of those people who like five games into the Jonah Bolden experience was like ready to sign him to a max contract and um, kind of like <laughs> kind of saw who he was, you know, <laughs> after that. So look, I don't think B-Ball Paul has like any idea where to stand on a basketball court, but he tries hard and he's long and he's strong. And DeAndre Jordan doesn't have any idea where to stand on a basketball court and he doesn't try hard and he's really not strong. So um, I would definitely play B-Ball Paul. I, I, I like, he's just got that level of like physicality and like wiry strength that um, like I said, like he, he's probably their best option of defending Siakam. Um, and that was what, what we saw that did them in uh, the other night was Siakam just went nuts in the third quarter and no one had a prayer of guarding him. Um, obviously Paul's not going to be out in crunch time or anything, but just to buy like, you know, five minutes here or there. Yeah. I think he could make a difference. He also feels like the kind of guy who can like Siakam makes so many like difficult, unconventional shots. Um, mm -hmm. And we like, I even felt like MB did a pretty good job on him earlier this week and he was just playing fantastic. And Paul is like weird and in the wrong spot, but like you said, still trying hard and like has really long arms and like could maybe throw him off a little bit. Like we'll often get blocks from the wrong spot. Like, he seems like the kind of guy who could maybe like make something happen and, you know, try to slow down Siakam when MB is off the floor just a little bit. I have made, I've made this point before. Um, like this team is really missing a dimension of physicality and he, he brings that. Like I, I've compared this team to the 2018, 19 Sixers, but the thing that that team had that this team doesn't is like on the wing, they were so strong and big and physical like jimmy and ben like are just a nightmare to, to go up against you know on defense for seven games like they have nothing like that this year even as good as matisse is he's not he's not like strong you know he's he's like a like match you step for step and like get his hands on crazy you know steals and stuff but he's not like you can kind of bowl him over um in, in a way that you can't with like you know jimmy and ben um so, yeah, I mean, he, that dimension of, like, physicality, I think they're missing that. And, and I'm, 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 like, I got to stop myself because I'm talking about B-Ball Paul, like he's going to play 25 minutes a game. But they, they, they need someone like that. And I think this offseason, like, getting those types of guys should be a priority. So I want to know what you think, you know, not in general about James Harden, if you're concerned about the hamstring or anything like that. But in the, if you're looking at this series in particular, how concerned are you? Um, you know, both offensive, offensively and defensively, like from the perspective of, you know, the Raptors basically have like eight of the same player that they play. And that player is a lot bigger and more athletic than James Harden. And it's going to be guarding him and he's going to have to guard one of them. Oh, I'm, I'm extremely concerned. <laughs> I'm extremely concerned, especially as someone who has sort of defended Harden. Um, like, I think that the, the games where we've seen Harden look really good, are against teams that play like drop coverage and he can just get downhill or, you know, attack like big men in space. Like he did against Milwaukee, like they play drop coverage and Harden had like 32 points in that game. It was his best game as a sixer. The, the Raptors are just like, here's, here's Scotty Barnes. Go ahead and try to beat him, try to beat him one-on-one. -on -one. And, and dude, 
it does not look good for Harden right now in those isolation situations. Like it just is crazy how much he is, you know, falling off or if he's injured or whatever it is like, dude, he scored 34 points a game two years ago. The season ended 18 months ago. He hasn't scored 34 points yet as a sixer. Like it's, there is something extremely wrong with his, you know, his burst and, 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 you know, whatever is going on with him, whatever it's related to, but yeah, I'm, I'm definitely, definitely worried about him in this series. And by the way, when they played the Raptors on Thursday, I think it was Thursday. Um, they started off the game trapping him. They started off the game, um, you know, blitzing him in the pick and roll Harden just picked it apart. He was slinging passes left and right. Offense was, was humming. And then they just were like, you know what, we're just going to switch and make you beat us. And he couldn't do anything couldn't do a thing so yeah i'm i'm definitely very worried about him and i think it could be ugly and awkward in addition to just like not being effective um in this matchup is there any other like one-on-one matchups that you think are interesting or potential ones that favor the sixers and aren't hard and getting torched Hmm. yeah well i think i think in terms of one-on-one like maxi and van vliet is a big one like they Tyrese has been up and down on defense this year. Um, but like they really need him to guard Van Vliet and especially in those games in Toronto where they don't have Matisse because he's just the only guy that has a prayer of, of sticking with him. Um, so I think that's a big one as far as the Sixers, you know, advantages. It's obvious. It has to be Joel. Like he, they don't have anybody who's going to guard him one-on-one consistently um, they're going to be double teaming him, triple teaming him, you know, boxing one, maybe some zone, like all of that stuff. And uh, so that is, I think, what the Sixers will play off of more so than anything. Um, but yeah, look, I, I think if I had, I guess, even just like beyond matchups, like the thing that the Sixers have over them is talent. Like they, they're a way more talented team and they should win this series. It's just going to come down to like general discipline and like coaching and all of that stuff. Um, so yeah. Um, we mentioned, or you mentioned that, uh, Paul Reed is somebody that we like, at least in theory on Siakam. Um, when the starters are out there and, and certainly in crunch time, what's the cure there? Because it can't be Tobias, Mike, it can't be Tobias. When Siakam sees Tobias guarding him, I think in the box scores, they just tally two points. They just automatically cash money, goodbye. Because he fucking kills it every time he sees Mm -hmm. him getting guarded by him. You know, back in the Toronto series in 1819, Embiid was guarding him a good bit. Um, Siakam had some success when Embiid was guarding him on Thursday. He got him with a pump fake once or twice and like, I wonder if that's what they go with, like, because otherwise I don't know that there even is a feasible option um, unless it's just Tobias and Prey. Like, do you have any idea as to what they could go with there? I think it'll, I think you'll probably see, um, like, start with Tobias and, like, some some Matisse when he comes in, um, and then Joel probably in, like, the fourth quarter. Uh-huh. Um, but I would, like, I would consider playing some zone, I would, I would double team him a lot. Um, a lot of the reason that Embiid was like fine to guard him three years ago was that Siakam wasn't the shooter he is now. And he right, just like, right. 
he would he could have eight feet of space and he would think twice about it and he, he didn't have like the same pull-up ability that he has now um so yeah i think you're really gonna have to mix it up um i i think matisse is like maybe their their best bet honestly um because like he can kind of get under siakam's handle and just like annoy him that way siakam's not like overbearing physically um it's a lot of just like slithery like and like you know ball fakes and stuff like that um so i think matisse would be probably their best option aside from b-ball paul but um yeah they're really gonna have to to mix it up and you know throw doubles at the right times and zones and and all that stuff so then i think our generally last question unless anyone has any last things is what's what's your pick for the series I'll go Sixers in six. I think six. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I can tell I'm not super confident in it, but um, I just think that they're so much more talented and that has to matter. Like if they lose this, this will be like a real indictment of so many things about the Sixers coaching, you know, Harden and bead. Like one thing that I think, kind of it doesn't bug me about the fans but i think it's just like silly is like how, like you got to believe in joel like if, if we're going to make this big stink about him winning mvp we have to believe that he can win a first round series and like as as the best player in the series that he like bears the brunt of the responsibility if they don't win like i believe in joel like i just i believe in him and i think that that i think that that will carry them um through this series and probably the next one too like I think Miami is a pretty similar team to Toronto just in terms of like how they play and how they're built um, like athletically and all of that stuff. So um, yeah, I mean, I just, I just believe in Joel and I think that's what's going to carry them. And if they don't win this series, man, it is just such an indictment on everyone. Um, Emily and Dan, we need to, uh, we have to go on the record as well. Uh, Emily, what's your pick in this series? Um, I was feeling not super confident, honestly, about it, mm -hmm. but I was, I was really inspired by what Mike said, and I, I do believe in Joel, therefore, <laughs> I've said multiple times, he's my favorite person on this planet, <laughs> um, so, but I'm gonna say Sixers, Sixers and, se uh, Sixers and Seven, I'll say Sixers and Seven. They're going to play him hard. It's going to be annoying. We're going to want to die at the end, but. Dan? I think where I'm at right now is like, despite the number of annoying games we've played against Toronto and, you know, some of them, you know, they've been without Ananobi, they've been without Van, Vle Van Vliet, but they, um, I, I just keep coming back to like, as those guys are really good, but they play similar guys a lot. And like, at least the, the challenge for the Sixers offensively is kind of going to be the same as it was. Um, and, you know, Toronto's been playing their starters an insane amount of minutes all season, um, whereas this is really going to be the first time we're seeing, you know, Maxi could basically play 45 minutes a game if they wanted him to, and Embiid could, is probably going to play like 40 um, into, more in a must-win game, um, and, you know, Harden's going to be you know, maybe not at 40 because I don't fully buy that his hamstring is, is fully healthy, but, you know, he might be at like 38. Um, and that's going to be a lot more than we were used to from the Sixers starters. And I think that there's some, you know, the Sixers lost some frustrating games, but they were close losses. Like 
where the where DeAndre Jordan played and like the bench was awful. And like I think that it's gonna look just as ugly, but they're just gonna play their good players longer and they should win the series. So I'm gonna go Sixers and six. But I, I agree with Mike that if they don't win and if they win in, in seven, like you know, I'm I'm not gonna be like annoyed like like I just think I think that the Raptors are just a tough team, but the Sixers have the talent and it, it absolutely is, you know, if they lose this series, it would be a big indictment. But I think they win it and I think they win it in six. If they played game seven against Toronto, I'm gonna lose my fucking mind. Um, you know, Harden and Doc were both like, no, his hamstring's perfectly fine. I was like, you know what, that's actually worse. So can we say it's not fine? Because that's worse. The chance um, is better next season is actually something I'm hopeful about. That, like, if he gets some rest, they make a big signing this yeah. summer, and Harden comes back and looks better. That's what I yeah. Anyway, um, I'm going to say every game will be absolute hell. I will, I just will hate every game. Even if we're up by 15 at any point, I'll hate it. Nothing will ever feel safe. Um, I'll say Sixers at five. I think they'll close it out at home. I worry that if it goes to six, game six, we won't win. Uh, because uh, in Toronto, it'll be even tougher. Um, so I think they'll win it in five uh, excruciating games. Anyway, Mike, um, thank you for being here. Uh, we love your stuff, uh, even when you're not fighting with that guy on Twitter who tweets all the time. <laughs> and uh, and uh, we, uh, because you're now a friend of the pod, we will never, we would have never had him on, but now especially we have planted our flag. Team you. Um, so listen, uh, we can follow, uh, Mike at M O Connor, uh, underscore NBA. Uh, you can read Mike's writing, uh, at the race to Ricky Sanchez. Um, is there anything else that we can get out there for you, uh, to promote or, or otherwise your, your no. new, uh, horse cock thing. That's a big one. Uh, yeah, be on the lookout. climate yeah. change denial. You mentioned something about that, whatever you want to do. Yeah, exactly. All that stuff. Yeah. Just, yeah, yeah, that's, that's what I'm all about. <laughs> um, no, yeah, thank you guys so much for having me on. And uh, the last thing I'll say to anyone who like hate listen to this, who's mad about all the stuff I tweeted, like, I really am only saying all this stuff because I care. And I just am like, this shit should be fun. Like, don't take it personally. I might think that you have bad opinions about basketball analytics, but I might agree on a lot of other stuff with you. I am not offended by anything anyone said to me. I hope no one's offended by what I said to them. But, um, but yeah. Thank you guys for having me on. It's a lot of fun. Thanks, man. Thanks, Mike. It was great to meet you. And um, best of luck to the Sixers. Uh, thanks for listening. And we'll be back with you uh, with an episode next weekend. Thanks again, Mike. Uh, great to meet you. And, uh, and we'll talk to you next time. See ya. See ya. Claude 3 from Anthropic is your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. With models at every point of the price performance curve, you no longer have to make trade-offs between intelligence, speed, and cost. Claude 3 Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between skill and speed. And Haiku is the fastest and lowest cost model on the market, 
perfectly designed for high-volume, high-speed use cases. Join the thousands of enterprises who use Anthropic to navigate this new frontier. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude, C-L-A-U-D-E, today. Jumpstart your genius with Claude 3 by Anthropic. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.